Hello and welcome to Hit Me in the Heart, a podcast that's all about the pieces of culture that manage to get around your emotional walls. I'm your bleeding heart millennial, Scott. I'm your hearty flyboy, Travis. And I'm your kind-hearted oaf, Paul. On today's episode, we have a very special movie that taught Travis a very particular lesson. What was that lesson, Travis? That lesson was fish are friends, not food. I don't think I've ever eaten a fish. <laughs> Hi, that's incredible. Good Come on, you mate. I wanted to talk about Finding Nemo. And I know it's a movie from 15 years ago that some people liked and some people didn't. But if you didn't, I think I can at least give you something to think about. And if you did, well, you are part of most people because this movie was very, very well received. Who didn't like Finding Nemo? I don't know. But some people didn't actually. Shouldn't talk about it. But at <laughs> okay. your party... The one guy, he didn't like Finding Nemo, and I find, really? found myself liking him less because of it. Me too. Even though I don't know who it is, I automatically do not um, like him now. So the reason why this movie hit me in the heart specifically is I saw it I saw it when it came out. I am a gay man. I had not yet come out to my father. My relationship with him wasn't great. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. And I think that a big part of it uh, was because I wasn't being honest with him. After I saw this movie, the next day, I asked him out for lunch, and it changed our relationship. You know, he was a Eucharistic minister. He worked in a Catholic school. It was when the two kids from the high school wanted to go to prom, and I remember him talking about, oh, I'm just so glad I don't have to deal with that. That was me internalizing what I thought he thought about gay people, and I didn't want to open myself up to that. But that wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to him. It's not how he thought about me. It's not how he thought about gay people. It's just I had sort of a stigma. I wasn't allowing him to make the decision. I was walling him off before he could disappoint me. And after seeing this movie, the message was so clear to me, this stupid movie about a fish, this kid's movie, made me have a relationship with my father. It is directly responsible for me asking him out to lunch the following day. And it fixed almost everything. We started having a better relationship. We started spending more time together. And recently, I asked him to go to Australia. And we flew out there. We had a great time because of Dory and Nemo. <laughs> Did you visit P. Sherman and 42 Wally Boo? We didn't visit P. Sherman. I thought that would have been a little bit too literal. <laughs> but yeah, this is this beautiful movie. It hit me in the heart. Who doesn't like Finding Nemo? Nobody. Finding <laughs> Nemo is the best-selling DVD of all time. Still gets rented, as Scott did today. Yeah. Um, I, I rented it for $5 off the Google Play Store, which is more than it costs to rent a movie from Blockbuster when Blockbuster was still a thing that existed. <laughs> Same, I, did, I rented it off uh, iTunes. There we go. It was like $3.99, I think. And now we don't even have a disc. <laughs> anyway, so just a little bit of backstory about it. So 2004, Pixar was new. They had come out with 
four films, all of them 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, two of them 100%. So there was a lot of expectations about this movie. I went in with huge expectations. I thought there was no way that it would possibly meet them. And I was absolutely blown away by this film. A lot of critics, even the ones that I've uh, recently been listening to again, they talked about how beautiful it was, how you know vivid the colors were, how amazing the, the set pieces were, and how well the characters were integrated into them. And although I agree, I think that most people think this movie is about something when it is about something else entirely. Finding Nemo is about treating people with mental and physical disabilities with respect and respecting their autonomy. I think most people, when they saw it, they thought it was a cute little movie, a fish out of water tale about a fish in water, but there's a lot more than that going on below the surface. To those that are a little bit skeptical about my interpretation of the film, um, thematically, if you see something in a film, it's probably, you know, slightly important if you see it once or twice. If you see it three or four times, it's definitely a main focus of the film. If you see it absolutely everywhere you look, that is what the film is talking about. So I've got a little bit of a list here about Finding Nemo and the characters in it. What's wrong with this fan? He looks funny. Ow. Hey, what'd I do? What'd I do? Be nice. It's his first time at school. He was born with it, kids. We call it his lucky fan. Nemo has memorelia or memormelia, I don't know how to say it, which is his underdeveloped fin. Marlin has PTSD from watching his wife and children get murdered in the uh, opening sequence. Dory has retrograde amnesia, short-term memory loss. Bruce, Anchor, and Chum, the sharks, are all suffering from substance abuse problems. It's cute because it's, you know, fish, fish, fish not the substance. Uh, meth, but it it it's still, they're in the movie for a reason. Um, the kids at school, they have an H2O intolerance, uh, incontinence, the one who inks, uh, ADHD, the one who's obnoxious. See this tentacle? It's actually shorter than all my other tentacles. But you can't really tell, especially when I twirl them like this. I'm H2O intolerant. <laughs> I'm obnoxious. From the aquarium, Gil is a sociopath that risks Nemo's life the moment he meets him. Bloat has anger management issues. Peach mumbles into the glass and has to constantly be told to articulate. Gurgle has symptoms of OCD and can't stop uh, talking about how filthy things are. Jacques is French, which counts as a disability in uh, America for some reason. Well, he oh. also, he's compelled to clean. Yes. He, and he, Sorry, we've lost all our friends. He literally <laughs> eats the filth off Nemo. Darla is a psychopath. There are medical grade narcissistic seagulls. They are on screen for moments at a time. And the only line they have is mine. mine, 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 mine. Crush the turtle admits to abandoning his young. Every single person in this movie seems to have something that they are dealing with. Clearly, the story is weaved through this because some people, like critics, missed this. They they did not talk about it. They didn't talk about how important it was to, to be dealing with important subjects like this. It was two years ago when the President of the United States mocked someone with a disability, mocked a very well-respected New York Times reporter, implying essentially that because he had a disability, he should not be trusted. This film shows you that every time you take away someone's autonomy to make a decision, whether they're disabled or not, it has disastrous consequences. And I think this is a very important lesson to be teaching children. I think this is an amazing lesson to be put in a movie about fish <laughs> who are swimming around. Is this pretty much a well-known 
I don't think it's particularly I don't think it's particularly well known, but I I think as someone who you know watches films and keeps their eye open for recurring themes, things that are important about the movie, I think it's difficult to argue otherwise. It feels like it's somewhere between like the the subtext and the text because it's it's definitely like the main character's struggle is you know Dory's quest to be taken seriously um, and and Marlon's quest to learn to rely on people and stop judging them and setting limits for for other people based on what he thinks that they can do. And if if you look at the movie, if you look at the critical moments of the movie, any time that someone, you know, takes advantage of the other person's disability, it happens a couple times. One of the times is when Dory is approaching the trench with Marlin, she remembers that it is dangerous that the fish right in the previous scene tell her you need to swim uh, through it, not over it. And Marlin looks at it, says, look, that looks like death. I'm not going to trust you because you have a disability. You can't remember things. And so they they swim over it instead of through it. There's the jellyfish forest that they encounter and Dory almost dies. Come here, squishy. Come here, little squishy. Ow! Dory, that's a jellyfish! Bad squishy. Bad squishy. Clearly, there's a lot going on in the story. I have other examples. Gil in the fish tank, as soon as he sees Nemo, he's like, oh, I'm going to use him to make sure that we can escape. Well, Nemo ends up escaping without the help of anyone. He fakes his own death so that he can get flushed down the toilet because he learns that all drains lead to the ocean. This is a character that people have been underestimating for the entire film who figures out something that the entire tank of fish have not been able to do for however long they've been there. Marlin at the beginning of the movie tells Nemo that he shouldn't be out here, that they're going to take him out of school and he'll come back next year because he is not capable of swimming well enough to be out there. He proves that he can. He swims out to the boat and is abducted to prove his father wrong. Yeah, he didn't, didn't, it wasn't Marlin, right? He said it was too dangerous. It certainly proved to be very dangerous indeed. It was dangerous, but not because of Nemo's capabilities. He wouldn't have swum out there to begin with if his father had said, no, you're fine. And he even said, I wasn't going to swim out there. Yeah. So the the writing in Finding Nemo is, is absolutely wonderful in the way that those scenes at the beginning um, set up so much of, of the movie and the stakes and the fact that it's both of their faults. Nemo obviously is driven to recklessness by his father, but still makes the choice to, you know, not listen to what he says. And that that's kind of one of the reasons why he gets abducted and kicks off the whole the whole plot of the movie it's right. it's actually quite brilliant from like a, a writing perspective right and even more to this theme of marlon being a helicopter parent there was a little bit of storytelling that i never even noticed before literally from the first scene at the at the edge of the drop-off where they live on the anemone right by the the sea when you then cut from the end of that scene where he holds you know little egg nemo to the main title the camera like pulls down from the surface of the ocean and it keeps pulling down until you're surrounded on all sides by coral and i never even noticed that like their home had moved from the first time and is now literally right in the bottom of a crack surrounded by very safe protecting walls and that's like visual storytelling right he has moved away noticed. from the drop-off but weren't they living in a flower though when it, at the beginning or the it's, it's an yeah. anemone 
anemone. <laughs> it's the it's the thing that that clownfish actually do live in that oh, okay. is protective. It stings everyone yeah. except them, so it's safe. And they move to another one, but it's just much much further away from the drop off. A quick aside: as somebody who has a lot of empathy and like I, I do cry in movies once in a while, I'm not that attached to. So like his his mom, I just. Not that I didn't care that she was killed, but like, I, I don't understand that that story trope of kicking off a film with a traumatic experience when we don't even know who the characters are and we're just meeting them. And I don't know if that works on you guys or if that is like a positive or... Your story geek is here with answers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a well-known thing uh, when you're when you're telling a story, when you're writing a movie, when you're writing a book, um, you need to start at the beginning. Um and you're right, the beginning didn't necessarily need to be that very sad scene. What that scene does at the very beginning of Finding Nemo is give you 100% a reason to understand why Marlon sees the world the way that he does. Travis, you said that he was suffering from PTSD. I'm not sure it's quite you know, diagnosable. As, this is as my armchair diagnosis. I am not a doctor, obviously. <laughs> yeah. The letters uh, are pouring in already. Yeah. But it is because Marlon is the protagonist for two thirds of that movie, right? He is the one that we're following. And then we cut away to the B story, which is Nemo in the fish tank. Like the main story in the movie is finding Nemo. And if you'd just been presented with a character who is a father, who is a helicopter father, who is overbearing, who is always telling their son they need to be more safe. You don't empathize with that character being able to see his carefree Why? personality and the way that you know he loved his wife and how excited they were to have kids and how just kind of normal all of their discussions were before that was ripped away from him it's a very good way to set up that we as the audience understand exactly what he's going through and, and why he makes the choices and decisions around Nemo that he does. I think the issue is with me and that I'm expecting a, a children's animation to uh, set the scene and take longer to get to that point of, of showing the backstory, I guess. I want. I guess I want a longer backstory and a Pixar film isn't going to give me that because it has to be an hour and a half or and an And the hour story, that, that's not even part of the story. The story is here is a change in Marlin. We see it at the beginning. He's willing to live live on the drop-off with all these children, 400 children that he can't watch all of. He's willing to take that chance because he's carefree. Nothing's ever happened to him in his life. Yeah. Now he has one kid and he's afraid. So he moves way, way, way into the coral reef just so that he can protect them because he wasn't able to protect his yeah. wife. I mean, Disney likes to kill people. So someone's going to die. Someone's <laughs> got to die. Might as well get it over in the first minute. Yeah. And as an aside, I would like to applaud us for our epic restraint as three gay men in leaving Disney to the second thing we talk about on the podcast. <laughs> I don't believe this. No, it's true. I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well, I mean, at least I think it does. Um, hmm. So this is also a comedy. It's a comedy that has a cast of entirely handicapped characters without exploiting them. All the humor comes from situational humor. I don't know. It seems like uh, Dory is is very much the comic relief. Not that they're making fun of her, but she definitely, her character situation leads incredibly well into comedy. It absolutely does, but she is the hero of the movie. She is the one that solves the problems. She is the one that actually finds Nemo and reunites him with his father. If we look at other comedies of that year, like uh, Daddy Daycare, you know, they were trying to be funny and not as funny as Finding Nemo while teaching lessons like raising kids is hard. 
or old school, where we learn that being fat and naked is hilarious. This is a movie that is teaching people to respect people with disabilities while being hilariously funny. You were talking today about how much you quote this movie. Watching it again brought back all these memories of, of you know, eminently quotable lines such as, my name is Bruce. Uh, hang on, let me see if I can do that again with more of an Aussie <laughs> accent. My name is Bruce. Uh, <laughs> the fact that it was filmed in Australia, was that, did that help you at all? Or, or Set in Australia, <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, they've got a bit of the Hollywood Aussie accent in them. Uh, <laughs> they put it on just a little bit thick, but it works, right? It, it has to read, everything on the screen needs to read is larger than life. And that's, to be honest, like the technical achievement of this film as well is very awe-inspiring. When you make a movie in CG on a computer, things don't have weight, things don't move. You have to physically go in and animate everything by hand so that it feels like these characters are swimming. And create so that, that it, environment, which is like really difficult. Yeah, and just the way the characters express themselves even with their facial features yeah. that's where so much of the, like the physical comedy of this film comes in i was i was blown away watching it again pure gold i think that's part of what why people reacted so strongly to this movie is it is beautiful it's almost photorealistic ocean scenes but they have animated characters and for some reason you know it's fine it it works perfectly there's no issue it's incredible when you think about it you're not working with a lit space you're not working with physical objects so you have to create shadows and, and everything else to, to make that part of the realism just i know we're getting very i'm getting very specific but i find that incredible too like the lighting from what i remember in finding nemo is, is it's beautiful and it's coming through it. water there's yeah. you know there's they, so many they, aspects they're at different depths they go yeah. to where there's no light there's no light in the entire yeah. film for <laughs> you know 30 seconds yeah. at one point and yeah. and then they have to light from you know behind and and this kind of crazy you know fish attack kind of thing i feel pretty basic when i watch the film because i unlike inside out which was very obvious to me that it's about emotions and right I didn't see this in, in Finding Nemo. And to me, it seems very obvious now I, that it's I, very obvious. And so I just enjoyed it for, for being a fun and funny film and cute and, and just a, a great story. The more you watch this movie, the more you will pick up on things. It is one that rewards future viewings. You can look at this movie as if you're a child and be completely satisfied. If you go a little bit deeper, you see that there is a treasure trove of information. We haven't even talked about the crux, the one moment that I think is absolutely brilliant in the movie, which is at the very end, when Dory finally meets Nemo, you're waiting for this, you know, this huge sort of culmination and the, the denouement and you know, the catharsis and everything's coming. And then there's that line, right? I'm Dory. I'm Nemo. Nemo? That's a nice name. If you've been watching the film, she screws up his name all the time. His son Bingo, Nemo, Nemo was taken to uh, Sydney. Sydney. She can't remember. So you're expecting the movie to go on to be like, oh, this everything's fine. Of course she remembers. But that's not how disabilities work. They are non-linear. That is a really interesting point because a lot of movies about overcoming differences end with the person learning to remove whatever it is about them that makes them different, that makes them unique, that sets them apart. And it's like, I am normal now. I am just another normal person. And yay, I've rejoined the herd. Dory's character is 
true to herself to the very, very end. And it's not about fixing Dory. And Dory doesn't necessarily need to be fixed. She is going to be living like this for the rest of her life. And there's a beautiful moment where, you know, someone makes her feel like home because it's familiar, because it's safe. And that's what your friends do. They they help you. They pick you up. They carry you because it's very difficult sometimes. And not just for, you know, people with disabilities, but for everyone. And that moment leads to like the second ending is what I kind of see it as where Marlon has to show that he has grown by watching Dory achieve everything that he wasn't able to by trusting her. He now has learned to trust his son. The whole movie, he's struggling with Nemo's capabilities, constantly underestimating him. And he realizes with help from Dory as well, if you try and stop anything from happening to someone, nothing will ever happen to them. But look at what has happened to Nemo. He has braved the ocean and he has become a better person. He has learned to deal with his limitations and work around them to live in the world in a way that that works for him. The movie never kind of goes out of its way to like bang a drum and say, this character is seen by society as incapable of doing anything. Right. You know what I mean? You know, it's it's really interesting that uh, that the sharks, you know, they, they play their little part in the movie and one of them falls off the wagon at the very end of the show, Dory, you know, she meets Bruce at the reef and there he is. He tried to kill her. He tried to eat them both when he fell off the wagon and got the taste for blood. She doesn't blame him. You know, she she accepts it and says, you are a flawed person. It can just be there under the surface. And that way it's so, you know, polysemous. It works for children and it works for adults. It does such a good job of, of grounding all these characters and grounding all these stories. And the way that none of these characters are really challenged or told that they're bad people for the way they do things is really important. It fosters a real sense of empathy and understanding amongst the whole cast so that everyone can see where everyone else is coming from and nobody rushes into judgment. They are definitely, you know, complications that need to be overcome throughout the story, but we understand exactly why everyone is acting the way that they do. And I think that's an important kind of perspective to get across. And that's what good art is. Art is something that shows you something without being so obvious about coming out and saying it directly. If, you know, if Pixar wanted to let you know that you shouldn't underestimate people with handicaps, they could have released a 10 second film saying, hey, guys, don't underestimate people with handicaps. That wouldn't be very interesting to see it on screen unfold over, you know, the course of 90 minutes. But that's what I need. I can't, I can't <laughs> deal sorry, with the metaphors. metaphors. To me, Nemo was a really cute adventure story. <laughs> and it is, it is that as well, but it but is I feel like I'm 12 more. So, or, yeah. or eight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. It is a really good adventure story. These subtexts and these things that the films are actually about are what gives these movies their value and why those movies will hold their value into and, the future. And staying power. If you think of this movie, like if you think of it as a comedy from 15 years ago, how many other comedies can you think of that really, you know, that hold sway 15 years later? This is part of the reason why this movie sort of got to me. My partner last year uh, and the year before and the year before that was dealing with his brother who had cancer. And it's awful. There is, there's no consolation. There is no, it's not so bad. You can't tell people that are dealing with tragedy and grief that it's going to be okay because it wasn't okay. You know, he, he ended up passing away. 
story from this movie, when I showed it to him only a couple years ago, has the line, just keep on swimming. Sometimes the only way to survive is just to survive, to to be with your friends and family, to lean on them for the parts that that fail you. And and in his darkest days, he would talk about today is a day that I just have to keep on swimming. It's so beautiful. It's so simple. But this is a tragic character. She has no family. She has no memory. She has absolutely nothing. And she finds a way to be the most positive, most optimistic, most funny character of the film. It is an unbelievable achievement that they were able to create a world where she is not a tragic character. It's I think pretty, it's great. Pretty damn poignant. I think it's pretty damn poignant. <laughs> when life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. Dorino singing. Ha, 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 I love to swim in Dorino. When you I know that this might have uh, been a little bit more specifically for me, but did it hit you in the heart? It was great to watch this film again because I hadn't seen it for for quite a while and seeing it in different eyes. And it did, it did hit me in the heart. It did for sure. Yay. And 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 to be a little more cheesy, I know when I see it again, though, I'll, I'll be thinking of you. It's it's Yay. gonna so I'll have more of a connection. If something has a more personal connection, I find it has a, a deeper meaning. And so, if something reminds you of somebody, that will definitely change things as well watching it again more than i know we spent a good chunk of the first half of this podcast talking about you know the technical accomplishments and the the phenomenal writing and everything and there are plenty of movies that have impressive technical accomplishments and and phenomenal writing but they aren't kind of the movies that will stay with you thanks for like picking this one again because it's not a film that i would have gone back and rewatched. Same here. same here it reminded me how much value there was in the movie and in its message and how smartly that message is incorporated into the story and it's not tacked on it is showing you the value of empathy and the value of attitudes and that is really really important to me so yeah it hit me in the heart Thank you very much for listening to Hit Me in the Heart. Stay tuned after the outro music to hear all of the ways that you can get in touch with us. What did you think? Did Finding Nemo hit you in the heart? Have you rewatched it recently? Did you pick up on the same things that we did? I mean, please let us know either through our website, hitmeintheheart.com, or on Facebook or other social media. All the info you can find on our website. Until next time, I'm your bleeding heart millennial, Scott. I'm your hearty flyboy, Travis. And I'm your kind-hearted old Paul. And we'll see you on the next one.
Thank you very much for listening to Hit Me in the Heart. You can listen to all the episodes on our website, hitmeintheheart.com, where you'll also find links to Finding Nemo and other bits and pieces we mentioned throughout today's episode. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you want to support us, the very best thing you can do is leave a review online. When people are searching for podcasts, they will be ranked by how many reviews they have. So if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please help other people find it. Our email, if you'd like to be in touch, is hitmeintheheartpodcast at gmail.com.